So I'm fresh off another ayahuasca journey, and who better to talk about it with than my man, Eric Godsey. We cover topics like non-judgment, surrender, and all of the different journeys, including an encounter with a very unique being that's unlike anything that I've ever experienced before. Can't wait to share everything on this podcast with all y'all. This show is brought to you by Killcliff. Killcliff.com, code word AMP for 20% off site-wide by Lucy, lucy.co slash AMP for 20% off and by Onnit, onnit.com slash Aubrey for 10% off. One of the most interesting discussions that's happening in the psychedelic space is being explored by my friend Anton Bilton, and he's exploring the idea of whether entities that you encounter during your journeys, whether they're real or whether they're part of your mind. Now, in some ways, you could say all is mind, and the sum total of all the conscious minds in the universe is one. And in that way, maybe it's all the same. And maybe those things in our mind are actually real. So when we think about Bigfoot in some way, Bigfoot is real. Or potentially there's a unique independent entity that's actually interacting with our psyche. This podcast is going to explore a pretty unique encounter with an entity that certainly felt very real to me. And that's obviously not the only lesson that we share, but it's something to keep in mind that whether this was just an aspect of my mind that was here to teach me, or whether I had an encounter with some kind of Mayan deity, I don't know. But the lessons are unquestionable, and the value that it's brought to my life is something that I know for certain. I hope you guys enjoy the show with Eric Godzi, but first, a few words from our sponsors. Kill Cliff has basically become a staple. And one of the things that I love about Killcliff is, first of all, super clean ingredients. And that's really important. I don't want to put crap in my body. I also don't want to put a bunch of carbs into my body as well. You know, if I'm going to have carbs, I'm going to have a damn chocolate chip cookie. I'm not going to have it in the liquid carb that comes from some of these energy drinks or some of these things. Like, you can keep it. So keeping the carbohydrate load low, keeping the ingredients clean, that's really important. But then the other thing that I like is that it has CBD and CBD has all kinds of benefits on the body, but the caffeination level of some of their drinks is really mild. It's 25 milligrams, and everybody reaches for those super high caffeine drinks, but really often we don't need that much, and it's nice to have a refreshing drink that gives you a little pick-me-up, and that's one of the reasons why Killcliff for me, has become one of those drinks that I always want to have available. Because if I'm in a podcast, I don't want to slam like a big coffee or slam a big energy drink and then be riding the wave. But if I can just drink some Killcliff, like I know that I'm giving myself that level of support that I'm looking for. And also I can drink the whole thing. And I know that I'm not going to be on this massive caffeine ride. So I really encourage you guys to check it out. Go to killcliff.com. Use the code word AMP for 20% off site-wide, just like it sounds, killcliff.com, code word AMP for 20% off site-wide. Next up, we have Lucy. And Lucy is a nicotine-based gum that I've been talking about for a while because it has really clean ingredients and it's a great way to get nicotine in your system. Now, of course, nicotine can be addictive and we should be mindful of that, but it's also a nootropic. It's also something that enhances our cognitive function and there's tons of studies that show that so the importance with nicotine is how you get it in your body are you carrying it on foul chemical laden 
cigarette smoke deep into your lungs well if you're doing that you're doing it the wrong way my mentor don howard always used to say the problem with tobacco is when you inhale it and what he's really talking about is you're getting the active components and of course there's more components in tobacco than just nicotine but you're getting the active components but how are you getting them in your body and using lucy gum is one of the cleanest ways to get nicotine into your body there's different flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon, pomegranate. They also have a lozenge with four milligrams of nicotine and cherry ice flavor. You can go to lucy.co, use the promo code AMP for 20% off, and just experiment with whether this is something that's right for you. And of course, be mindful. You want to be the one driving the nicotine ship, not nicotine driving you. And so it's important to take breaks and just be mindful that nicotine is something that is easily addictive. So once again, lucy.co, promo code AMP for 20% off. And as with all nicotine products, there's a disclaimer. Warning, this product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. And finally, we have Onnit. And what I want to talk to you about with Onnit today is just how much I've been loving Alpha Brain Instant lately. So Typically, I've just been using Alpha Brain Instant for podcasts and for special events, but I've been finding myself realizing that my entire day is better when I take Alpha Brain. And I used to think like, oh, maybe it's because I had a podcast and that energized me. And then I finally realized like, well, yeah, the podcast was great because I had a very focused conversation, but it's also the fact that that's what got me taking Alpha Brain Instant that day. And that is actually making a significant difference and look, I should have probably recognized this a little bit earlier. You know, I mean, shit, I was a major part of inventing Alpha Brain. You know, like for me not to even really realize what a significant difference it's making for me overall, even when I don't have something important, it was pretty powerful for me to recognize that. This is now something I don't do it every single day, but it's not just on days where I have podcasts and recordings and important writing stretches. I'm using it more frequently and I'm really enjoying just how it's making me feel overall period just my brain seems to fire better i have more energy that person that texts me i'm more likely to text them back because i have that energy and make those calls that i in between the things i just i just feel more alive more alert it's helping my mood you know in interesting positive ways as well and uh so this is kind of a rediscovery of something for me that i've been familiar with for shit almost 11 years now and just thought I would share that. Also, the Alpha Brain Instant flavors are bomb, and there's so many of them now. So keep a lookout for that. Go to onnit.com slash Aubrey if you're interested in checking out Alpha Brain Instant and saving 10% off of everything. Once again, onnit.com slash Aubrey. And now, an uninterrupted podcast with Eric Godsey. Eric Godsey, my brother. Aubrey Marcus. Here we are again. And one of the reasons that we do these things is when i'm figuring shit out mm. i'm learning shit i'm going through shit and there's nobody in the universe that i'd rather talk to about this stuff that i'm chewing on than you and so here we are once again it's an absolute honor and we'll see if we can make it not a two-part series where it's two and a half <laughs> we hours finish each. In one. we gotta finish in one so a lot of stuff going on obviously a ton and i'm absolutely open to going to a variety of different places but the through line that I want to explore are a lot of things that came up in a recent ayahuasca ceremony. Now, you? me, <laughs> this was the absolutely unique experience for me. Now I've done ayahuasca 20 times now, and 
this one was completely different because this is the first time that I didn't go down to South America to do it. Mm. I did it here in the United States. And that in and of itself was unique. And it was with some healers that were recommended to me by some dear brothers, longtime medicine men and friends. They've been trying to connect us for a while. And I was kind of like, ah, because I had the big Soltara experience. I have another big experience back at Soltara with my very first shaman, Maestro Orlando, Chuhandama. Can't wait for that. That's going to be epic. I can't wait to share that with you. So this was kind of like something on the in-between. And so I was like, yeah, that sounds good. But Vailana was super called to it. She was like super called to it. So she arranged it and organized it. And I was like, well, you know, my wife's into it. I guess it's happening and then it just kind of appeared on the on the calendar but i didn't i didn't really internally fully commit to it yeah i up until like the last day i thought maybe i would like slide out the back and be like i'll just support you know because i wasn't really called and one of the number one lessons about ayahuasca that i want to share is you know please only go to the medicine when you're really called to it this was an exception to that and it worked out great but nonetheless <laughs> don't let the exceptions to the rule try to change the rule the rule yeah. is is wise and, and then you should go to these things when you're called and if it wasn't for a dream that i had the morning of oh, ayahuasca shit. we're gonna get into dreams. yeah i wouldn't have i wouldn't have done it and you know as as we've discussed i rarely have dreams that i attribute a high amount of significance and you obviously Trigger. think Trigger. that <laughs> you obviously <laughs> think that all dreams have significance but for me there's certain ones that i'll always wake up and be like okay and this dream i had it wasn't necessarily about the dream the dream was about it was really about me with a woman who was you know we were at like a bar and she was talking to me about the essence of judgment and she was explaining to me the essence of judgment was a word she called shmokti i she i don't know that's not a real word i mean shakti is like the energy of life and shmokti i suppose is like some perverted delusion of the energy of life it's because all judgment of course is delusion because it's predicated on the myth of separation this idea that we are not all the same emanation of life call it god call it love you know call it whatever you want but to judge you have to have separate this is better than that like there is no if in the pure white light part of the pure white light isn't better than the other part of the pure white light or like part of homogenized vanilla ice cream isn't better than the other part of vanilla ice cream unless maybe there's a cookie crumble in one part that you <laughs> prefer better, better right <laughs> But nonetheless, so, and we'll get into that, but it was so interesting, this dream. And I just woke up with this clear thing like, oh man, I'm doing ayahuasca today. And so, you know, I did, I did it. And uh, the other part of that was, is that I've been in so many different gnarly situations in different plant medicines. I think, you know, for people who really want to go back to the catalog, I even announced I'm done with psychedelics forever on a podcast after a particularly gnarly journey. So gnarly that I had to sleep on the floor for like six days following yeah. it because even the bed felt too ungrounded. You know, it was such a intense journey and, and we don't How need to rehash that? that story. But that was How long ago? six years ago, probably. Um, and then also obviously my dance with the world crusher who was negotiating for my father's soul and all of these 
massively intense journeys and I've told all these stories and I've always navigated my way through. So I had this sense that, all right, whatever comes, you know, I have confidence that I'll be able to navigate through it. You know, I've pushed myself into difficult spots and always worked my way through. So there wasn't necessarily a, a fear of it. And I'd been following, you know, a, a loose dieta just in case. You know, <laughs> my dieta practices are not uh, typically the tightest. Um, but the shamans that we were working with were trained in the Brazilian tradition and they had some Peruvian training too. But it was a much different style. Their dieta rules were different. You know, their practices were different. The whole thing was going to be different anyway. So it wasn't like going to a you know, very strict Shipibo tradition or even Mestizo tradition, which can be equally as strict. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the Brazilian tradition. Yeah, man, and neither was I. So I've only worked with the, the uh, Peruvian tradition, either Shipibo, which is probably the oldest and most consistent lineage, which we worked with at Soltara. Mm -hmm. And then the Mestizo tradition, which is Maestro Orlando Chuandama, which is different and um, has some similarities, but different. And I'm excited to share that with you. Yeah. And that was who I worked with from my very first discussion of ayahuasca on uh, JRE 127 or whatever that was. That was working with Maestro Orlando. So it'll be kind of full circle with him. But so I wasn't necessarily scared of what was going to come but it's always it's always intense like ayahuasca is nothing that is simple by any stretch of the imagination it's always work they call it trabajo you know mm -hmm. work and for the last time we did this and discussed all the things that came up obviously there is <laughs> ample amounts of work and growth and lessons in that so I went in with just kind of a quiet confidence in myself, met the shamans for the first time and had just this amazing affinity. Like mm. the moment I met him, it was like, oh, you again. Right. You know, like here we are again, like exactly like I've known him forever in this life and many others. And here we are. And so that really set the stage and put it at ease. Was it just one shaman? Two, Two. male and a female. And uh, so, and ayahuasca was from Hawaii also mm. something i've never experienced before so apparently terence mckenna transplanted a bunch of ayahuasca vines mm -hmm. into hawaii and then they sourced the chacruna leaf from all of the different islands so the chacruna was also maybe native or maybe also planted Interesting. and so it was really like carrying this spirit of hawaii and uh and Vi loved that. Vi loved that <laughs> you know my wife being hawaiian she loved yeah. that so that's one of the reasons why she was so called to it but anyways, just a very small group, you know, just four of us and very small. And we kind of get right to it. You know, we have our thing, it gets dark, we get right to it. We have our first cup. And what was really unique from the start is the musicality was different. The Icaros, first of all, are in Portuguese, which was wow. beautiful, man. Like beautiful to hear Portuguese Icaros rather than the Quechua Spanish Icaros that you're yeah. used to. Similar in some ways, you know, but very different in other ways. So the songs were different, but also the musicality was completely opened up because it would go from Icaros with shakers and songs and whistles and, and the thing that you were used to, to harmonica, Whoa. to drums, to gongs, to bowls, to all kinds of oh. different instrumentation that was available. 
And that was a radically unique experience as well. And I remember feeling the first thing that kind of came to me was, wow, this is some, this is beautiful. Like this is beautiful music. And the drums was also very interesting because there's something about drums in a typical ayahuasca experience, it's silent. And then the ikaro start just, and you're like, oh shit, here it comes. <laughs> yeah. But when the drums were coming early, it like kind of like awoke this, warrior spirit like mm. here we go you know it's like and you're like Whoa. oh fuck all right like i'm ready to show up like i'm here for this and so it kind of clicked the mindset like i'm here for the work like wow. let's let's go and uh hmm. it kicked on you know kicked on strong and the music kept going and there's an encouragement that if you felt it to get up and dance as Whoa. well which was also which completely is unique so, so different than the style that i've done completely different whoa and i remember one of the first real so the ayahuasca starts kicking in it and for those of you who haven't taken it it comes in these like waves of energy and the waves of energy flow through your body and almost crest right in your head in your third eye and then the visions like peel out into all of these different fractals and shapes and swirling you know medicine is what they really call it when the visions come it's mm. just the medicine working its way through and, and working its way through your body but the first you know real th moment where i was like wow this is not only musically different was when they were playing one of the drumming songs and singing along with the drumming song and it was intense and I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna get up and dance. Like, fuck it, you know, ecstatic dance is a deep part of my practice. Oh. And I remember dancing and the ayahuasca is strong at this point, like strong. And I was dancing, but it, it was literally like the ayahuasca was dancing me. Right. And I thought, and I started laughing because I was like, oh, like this is ecstatic dance. Mm. Like it was where I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything like ayahuasca was just shaking me and moving me in ways that i was just a passenger yeah you know i was just a passenger to this cosmic dance that was flowing through me and uh it was potent and then of course like you know different elements of the purge would come and but the songs were all it was just woven in, with just such mastery with that whole experience that it was it really impossibly beautiful to describe ultimately yeah. and there was something about being able to move like that that also helped the energy move so right. i didn't actually end up purging liquid out of my like vomit because i was able to kind of move the energy and you've talked about this as well yeah like your ability to purge through breathing or right. purge through there's so many ways to purge but the dance itself was a type of purge 100 it was a way to like kick off the excess energy that was building that was it can become almost unbearable yeah and so you have to release it somehow because the intensity and this will you know this i'll talk about this a lot more for my second journey because this was a big part about how to deal with the growing and almost unbearable ecstatic energy that ayahuasca can bring and sometimes deeply you know challenging psychological stuff but also for me the, one of the biggest challenges is the physical challenges right. just like the the energy going and whether it's the nausea or just just trying to hold that much it's like i'm you're plugged into the source outlet and it's just <laughs> a million volts of source yeah. energy just flowing through your body and, and 
fixing things and healing, but reorienting things. That's just this massive amplitude. So that was going, and I, and I would just catch myself just in absolute marvel of the music and the experience. And it's not that this is better, and I'm saying that this way is better, but it was beautiful to experience it in a different way. Yeah. And uh, drank, ended up drinking two more cups that night. Wow. And really, the interesting, you know, there's a lot of interesting parts that happen, but the real psychologically interesting parts came in when I started thinking about my relationship with my father. Mm. And this is something that's not necessarily new because in the darkness, I talked about how when I connected to Whitney, she was asking me, am I doing it right? right. Am I? <laughs> it's always so tough for me to think about that, but like, because I took on this kind of judgmental quality that I'd learned and the world teaches you. And without trying to, without trying to judge her in any way, there was some part of me that thought that she could be doing better at these certain things and would love her more when I felt like she was doing better for the world, for herself, for me. And then retract a little bit, not intentionally. I'm not like trying to do this, but it's right. just inherent. And I could see how that, that pattern affects somebody you know and and that was so difficult to realize but shmakti shmakti judgment yeah exactly but in this one i saw myself as the boy mm. and i was saying it to my dad and i re i realized that so much of my life i was subconsciously asking did i do it right dad am i doing it right dad did i do good dad and of course dad eventually fades away in the in the real form of like I, well my i'm not you know i don't have a relationship with my father now anymore because of his mental health conditions and things but dad is a universal thing that's now become internalized into me so even though it's not my dad that i'm actually asking that to literally it's the internalized version of dad yep. that i'm always asking am I doing it right? You know, am I doing it right, dad? And so much of my own mental construct is about like asking myself and judging myself whether I'm doing it right. Yeah, there's there's so much there. Um, I forgot who put this question forward, but that it really stuck with me. And it's that whichever parent you actually had the harder relationship with is the parent that you unconsciously needed the most validation from and that parent tends to be the one that we internalize as the inner like scorekeeper and for the next 30 or 40 years the choices you make in relationship the choices that you make in career the choices you make in what you do with your body and like your friendships it's to try to win over that judge and like an interesting thing <clears throat> for me is that there's, am I doing it right? And then there's the rebel against the father, which is the like, fuck you, I'm doing it my way. you know. Yeah. And, and so whatever way you think is right, I'm purposefully doing the opposite and both have their own chains. For me, um, because my dad like he he was never an influential force and that was my wound and so it was always like um the inner father was like i don't have anything to say to you you know like 
like you're stupid basically was mm -hmm. my response to it. And that I think our relationship to the archetypical father is actually how we relate to government. And it's actually how we relate to nation. It's how we relate to culture. You know, that on some level that tends to hold the archetypical father energy. And um, did anything come up for you specifically about the call that you got from the last time you did ayahuasca about going and connecting with your father? Yeah, I mean, so in the last time there was a deep message about, you know, f following through with the rescuing the lost father archetype. And this was a confirmation that that is incredibly important for me to do. But really, the this was more about a gateway into my own into my own judgment and mm. how pervasive it is and how much of a guide. And interestingly, you said that there's that rebel aspect, but in some ways, we also believe that the rebel is the right way. And maybe we saw that here. Maybe it's Bruce Willis movies, you know, where it was like that becomes the way that we model our behavior oh right the the right behavior doing it right is not following what the authority says because authority's full of shit right and authority's wrong so the doing it the right way is the rebel so that's not even an escape no because you're like if you were free you would ask your heart what do i want to do today <laughs> right if you're chained it's either what does dad want me to do or what does dad want i'm doing the opposite and the yeah. rebel on some sense is just as chained to the father as the boy who's asking did i do it right right and it's just a different value structure that right. you're chained to like what to you is the most virtuous act which then determines your own worthiness of love you can imagine the rebel in that situation going along with the consensus following and whatever that might be, you know, like falling in line, wearing your mask, doing whatever the thing is in this, and then saying like, man, you pussy. Right. Like, I can't believe you just followed along and you didn't exactly. chart your own way and make a stand, you know? And so it just depends on which value structure you're in. Or if, if the value structures follow the rules and then you broke the rules, you might say, I can't believe I broke the rules on how disrespectful of me to do this. But it's right. still, as you said, like you're still not free both are chained and and the game is to get free and the freedom comes from not having love given or withdrawn dependent upon the actions you take find the place of that unconditional love that love that says i love you if you do this and i love you if you do that so what do you want to do right you know and then you're free because if there's more love that you give yourself for one outcome than another you're going to steer towards that outcome so if you're locked in the world of conditionality, you're chained. You're not free. You know. A friend shared a story with me a couple of days ago where um, she's been on a journey for a couple of years of really starting to become aware of some like of the most terrifying thing that people fear that will come up as a repressed memory if they do psychedelics, and that that was her truth, and that. Um, she has been doing work for a long time trying to get to a place where she can genuinely love and have compassion for that part. And uh, she hasn't been able to until she fell in love with someone where that other person finally let forward on accident their most shameful thing that she was able to hold love for for him. And then she had this like kundalini moment in the car on the way home after a really tough conversation where she essentially had complete love for that shameful part of him. 
and that through doing it for him, she could feel that she was now able to, for the first time, like feel that she could hold that part of her without judgment. And that that seems to be what the opportunity of relationships offer because we don't get to choose who we love. It seems to be that there's a deeper intelligence of something yeah. unfolding and that I can feel the pain in your body when you connect to that vision of Whitney because there was an invitation to do a certain type of yeah. loving that uh, wasn't able to quite land, you know, yeah. and, and there is a way where it is perfect. And, you know, I, I get to witness you and I have seen how you've held space for parts of Vi that she didn't think was lovable and how she has bloomed through that. and. It's such a tough thing in human nature to like be like, damn, if only I was what I am now 10 years ago or five years ago. It's brutal. That's, and that's, I was going to talk about that a little bit later because that was another big part of uh, later in night two, you know, just recognizing you get to these, you get to these truths and you get to this experience. Fortunately, I had that experience in the darkness and was able to do a much better job loving Whitney yeah. exactly as she was for a while. And, and I think if I didn't have that, you know, whatever, eight months or six months of, I don't know how long we were to instill dancing together after that experience, but a good chunk of time uh, where, you know, I was able to love her a lot better than, you know, actually I think it was less, maybe three months, but at least there was like a little bit of time where I was able to do it for a little bit. But it is really hard to know that you know you can't go back, yeah. and I, and I think that's another thing I can imagine that's hard for parents. Parents who've gone through an awakening process, seeing how they could have loved their kids differently, seeing how you could have loved your ex partners differently, and um, it's one of the just kind of incredibly challenging things about the nature of time. That as you evolve, what happened in the past can't be undone you can express it and there can be healing in the present yeah. but you just have to go from where you are now forward and not be saddled by looking back into the past because that'll deny you what you have in the present and also if your message is about not being in judgment of you know towards the ones you love well certainly don't be in judgment of yourself now <laughs> for not being in judgment then and that's like ultimately the way out of judgment is you cannot judge your judgment, right? Like the moment you're judging your judgment, you're in this repeating cycle, this infinity loop where you're never gonna get out of it. Yeah. Is you're just gonna have shame about your judgment, about your judgment, about your judgment. And it's like looking in one of those mirrors where it just gets smaller and smaller, right. like the double mirrors where it gets smaller and smaller off into infinity as it's just reflecting back and forth and back and forth. But the only way to break the pattern is to love even your judgment and love yourself as the one who judged them yeah. and love you. You have, to, you have to apply that universally and especially to, if you're on this and recognizing that judgment is one of the deepest shadows in the delusion of separation. Yeah. Like you have to love your way out of it and love your judgment out of it. And I think where people get stuck is um, because English is trying to capture so many different things with the word love that the Greeks had like four, I think, I think they had six different types of love. 
And I can feel that the type of love that you're meaning, because I think most people, when they hear love, they think of the like desirous attraction that comes with like romantic love. Mm -hmm. But that the type of love that you're talking to is, it's the same, it's the type of love that witnesses without any other shit. Like it's it's the way God loves existence, where it's it's witnessing. Mm -hmm. And to witness in peace has no judgment, it has no assessment, it has no preference. It allows it to be. Lo loving it doesn't mean that you, you know, allow someone to steal from you. But loving means that you do not try to move away the fact that you're angry. Yeah. Or you try to move away the fact that you're jealous or that you're envious. You allow it. Because it really feels like the big thing that keeps us separated is that we don't allow these little squishy things to feel their truth when it arises. And the judgment is almost a way to be like, no, not going to feel that not going to feel that not going to feel you get the fuck away from here mm. and that you know the ramdas thing of and this like i get triggered by it cuz when i'm not wanting to feel what wants to be felt i use the and this as meaning i allow terrible things to happen but it seems like the wisdom of the and this is can you allow this guest to come into rumi's house for tea yeah like can you allow it in and yeah. allow it to be yeah, the uh, we're we're inherently a paradoxical being, and this is also one of the challenges: is that we are a physical, we are a physical being, and our body has pain signals and pleasure signals. And yeah, all right, in certain sexual practices, you can cross the wires and get you know get freaky with them and swirl them all up. Hashtag pain, bliss fuck. Yeah, pain can become pleasure, pleasure can become pain, whatever. But ultimately we have there is a clear separation and it is you know you're gonna kid yourself if you think that you know rubbing velvet versus rubbing you know broken glass is gonna right. feel the same way it's just not on your skin you know certain things are not going to taste the same way certain things so judgment is built in to our organism yes and to try and bypass that and pretend that you have no judgment on that level you're full of shit. This right. is the epitome of spiritual bypass. Yes. And on the emotional level, you're going to have preferences. Certain things feel a lot better than other things. Certain thoughts are more pleasure. The neurochemical cocktails associated with these create a different outcome. So judgment is built in to who we are. It is a part of it. However, we're also all the way through our soul connected through on this like thin red line, this strand all the way back to source. And at source itself, there's pure non-judgment right. because all is one. As yes. I said, the one side of the vanilla does not judge the other side of the vanilla. It's all vanilla. One, the pure white light doesn't judge the pure white light. The pure dark void doesn't judge the pure dark void. It's the same void. It's the same light. It's the same ice cream. Like it doesn't even make any sense, you know. And all of that is true. So you get in these paradoxical things. All right, what's your point of identification? Are you identifying as God? Right. Well, sure, don't judge. But if you're identifying as human, you're going to have some judgment. But with that, you can accept the inherent, always constant paradox and move into the acceptance to say, 
let me bring the wisdom of my divine nature and while i honor and acknowledge my preference for this thing i also am not going to judge it and say it is not worthy of love because i remember the truth of this and so it's kind of finding a synthesis and a harmony between our physical being and our divine being which is why the words also fail because well what's the point of identification who's the speaker you know like is there, are you speaking as your god self are you speaking as your soul self because your soul might have a preference to learn something over not learn something right you know like if we listen to what paul Selig said the soul is here to learn okay well then if you're not learning maybe it doesn't want to do that as much as it <laughs> likes learning right so there may even be preference at that dimensional reality and then in the physical there's obviously preference so where is your point of identification and then how do you synthesize all of that and love the fact that yeah your body prefers pleasure your mind prefers this your soul prefers this but god doesn't prefer anything god says right. fucking go for it whatever right. you want it's all good i love you all the same there's a lot that comes up there um one of the things is that when people talk about something being a paradox the thing that always comes to my mind that you actually intuitively went directly to is you actually move past the paradox if you can relax into there are different levels of identification like there are different spheres of frequency that you can tune to and if if you can feel into that like if you're somehow a two-dimensional being and you look at a table it can both simultaneously be up and down and across and that's a paradox at the second dimensional perspective you move to the third dimensional perspective it's not a paradox yeah. it instantly makes sense and so it feels like whenever we get to a place where it starts to feel like a paradox you know the einstein quote is like what is the different perspective that might be one level above this that you can actually look at the thing that feels like it's a paradox and oh it's a table it's not up and down and aside and across at the same time no it's a fucking table and the other thing is that the human nervous system is the most complex technology that is that we've ever apprehended in the known universe so we don't have a piece of technology outside of it that we can currently use as the proper metaphor. Like we don't know what the fuck this shit is. Yeah. And so it's like the way that the human mind even perceives beyond what it knows is through metaphor. And if we don't have an image or a metaphor for it, we fucking like just go bleh, you know? And we haven't yet created the technology that allows for us to give a metaphor too. Like there is something about okay, I'm in a body, and if there's a lion right here, all the other dimensionalities above me are fucking gone. I am in my goddamn body. But like, if I can sit on a cushion, and I can kind of fuck with my breathing, and the air conditioning is wafting, and like, I feel like I'm completely safe in this dimension, I might start to like, wow, there was a past life where I fucking was doing the hula hoop on the top of a volcano, and all there right. were things going off around me, and there's aliens and shit. And like, there's a huge amount of shit that we can't even yet know because we don't even have the metaphors to create it. And there was another thing that was actually the most exciting thing that I was gonna talk about that I'm losing the thread of, but it feels like once you start talking again, I'll remember. Yeah, I mean, I think another important thing is that just because we can understand the divine perspective, all is of God or nothing is, as Paul Selig says, like right. this is all life and love expressing itself. 
just because we know that doesn't mean that that perspective is better because the moment we go that perspective is better we've mm. actually lost the perspective in and of itself we're applying judgment to say this is better the divine is better yeah. whereas the divine's mm. going better excuse me pardon <laughs> you know like yeah. did you say better because right. then you're not talking about me right and this is another big factor is like we project this judgment onto everything everything all of our of course we've projected it onto the jehovah-like deities you know that we've created and in these ideas so i mean so rife with judgment and yeah. the crazy thing i remembered in my philosophy of religion class we explored this deeply when i was in college because that was kind of my concentration of philosophy but you would have to imagine that the divine being that was worthy of worship the one that you would want to worship would at the very least be as good as the best human mm. right so or the best government let's say if we had a government that punished someone eternally forever with hellfire and to literally burn them over and over and over again torturing them which is the description of hell would we worship that human or would we be like that's a fucking demon bro right that is a tyrant right you know and of course we would say tyrant but nonetheless we've ascribed that for so many thousands of years yeah. fortunately that's kind of waning this hellfire and brimstone yeah. interpretation but we have it in subtle ways god loves this and not this god loves this and not this so right. it starts all the way at the top of god but it goes all the way to our demigods we do it even with ayahuasca 100%. you know like oh ayahuasca is going to punish you if you broke your dieta punish you would i as your friend punish you for not doing not eating the right food before we right. went to a breath work would i punish you for that no and so are you saying that ayahuasca is not as good as a normal person right of course not it's the most benevolent healer we know it's not going to punish you there may be you know chemical reactions there may be your own doubt and judgment that's played out it may exacerbate a variety of these things you may have to deal with the consequences of being less clean physically right. and having a more difficult purge but don't project judgment and then they say oh ayahuasca is jealous jealous of cannabis jealous you if you're going to say that there's somebody mm -hmm. on the physical plane that can transcend jealousy and be in an open relationship yeah it's hard but there's people polyamorous who've transcended jealousy right. and you're saying that ayahuasca is not even as evolved as them right bullshit I'm not jealous of cannabis it just doesn't work well right we we anthropomorphize aspects of nature with our perspective of emotionality and i think the metaphor that comes up for me is that if i know that i'm going to play you in basketball tomorrow you're not going to quote unquote punish me if i eat like shit the next day but you're not going to slow down and you're yeah. going to try to win yeah. and it will feel like a punishment if i have the right wounding and i don't do the right type of work and then also like if i smoke before and i just can't think clearly <laughs> and then i might anthropomorphize the other people when you play Aubrey tomorrow in basketball, if you eat this hamburger and you smoke this weed, he's going to be jealous and he's going to punish you. <laughs> and like ayahuasca on that level is it's like, we're going to fucking go for it. Yep. And you're responsible for what you bring and how ready you are. And 
you know, people who haven't been trained in the scientific method and have only been trained in, you know, the wisdom of relating to nature like it's an aspect of the self or the psyche, that's the way that they're going to bring back their data of like, whoa, ayahuasca will be mean to you if you don't do all these things. And, you know, they didn't understand about the chemical interactions in the same way that we do. And the thing that came back to me before when you, like, when you start to get into the different levels or dimensionalities of consciousness, like there's a part of me that's like, fuck, how do I choose to do anything? You know, like it's, it's, I can feel that the map is beyond what I will ever be able to make sense of. And the thing that I come back to constantly is that regardless of the infinite complexity of what this thing is, we all seem to have this like smooth, still, inner whisper and you know i've turned it into a god in our group and mm-hmm. i call it the daemon and you can call it whatever the fuck you want but everyone knows what that thing is and everyone knows when they transgress it and everyone knows when they're in alignment with it and like we all get to keep doing work by kind of making it more complex than it needs to be and there's all sorts of ways to, like help people remember how to get back to that thing but it seems to be each of us are born with this like inner ikaros that's like whistling and it wants it it wants to move through us in the way that the ayahuasca was moving you and we go through our own traumas and our own conditioning and our own shame and guilt and whatever and and we ignore the song but the song's always playing and the song wants you to do something specific and one of the things that will keep you from letting the song move through you is your judgments you know it that's what gets us lost that's what that's what gets us lost in a dense fog a choking dark fog where we can't see our reflection clearly in the mirror we don't we've, we don't we lose sight of who we are we lose sight of what we're doing because well, the judgment carries with it the desire to punish the self you know so if we bring judgment to something else we're going to create that reality if we bring our judgment oh i deserve i deserve this thing you know someone you cheat on your spouse right and you know that it's wrong and you know that it's bad you're going to manifest something bad happening to you or getting caught or some way to find to to get the retribution to get you what you feel like you deserve right unless you've somehow carefully sociopathically rationalized it in a way where it's like well because of this and this is fair and we do that shit too and to try and escape the judgment but nonetheless it's it's going to keep us from actually going smoothly through anything and for me you know you have the idea of the daemon and i think that's a beautiful idea and i don't disagree but i think it can almost be simpler i think like really deeply asking like what do i really want what do i really want you know and like allowing the the sacred want not i have to not i need to but like what do i really want i just had that podcast with don miguel ruiz and he talks about his great-grandfather don ezekiel and he's just such a playful rascal you know and i think about um you know ram das's guru Mm -hmm. maharaji and he's just throwing fruit and just you know playing with people he's just playing and having and being a rascal but every once in a while when he needs to dial it in or he wants to dial it in i should say when he wants to dial it in and give people the full god experience 
even though he's emanating that con he does that yeah and then people feel that but most of the time he's just being a rascal same with don ezekiel rich with magic and the ability to use his intent to bend the universe but most of the time he's going to play practical jokes have drinks dance and laugh mm. you know and it's like following i think that to me is the place of freedom is we're naturally going to want to help people because we do know deeply that you or me living a different life so it's not going to lead to some selfish hedonism unless we're also in delusion and then it's what does an aspect of me want but if the totality of you is saying what do i really want well that includes the state of inner being that includes our connection to the earth to each other to ourself yeah and also the connection to infinity which says yeah all right I want to do this, but you know what? There's going to be another Earth, at some point, in some place. There'll be another one, and there'll be another one. Infinity fucks me up, man. Yeah, right. and there'll be another one, and there'll be another one, and there'll be another one. So, let's do all this, great, but let's play while we do it. Let's dance. Let's dance while we do yeah. it. Let's let's enjoy. Let's laugh. Let's love. Let's not take everything. Is this life or death? This is so serious. Do the work. The world needs you. All that. Yeah, maybe all true, but. Like I play my best basketball when I'm loose, when I'm talking shit, when I'm laughing, you know, like when I'm like trying to throw Sterling into the side of a fence, you know, cause we're getting fucking heated. I'm not playing my best hoop, yeah, you know, like I'm playing my best hoop when I feel like Jordan giving a wink, like that's right, bitch, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, and it's, and it's fun. And same with pickleball, you know, I'll see that all the time. These are the, it's the sport I'm playing the most now. Someone hits a bad shot and they're like, come on, man. And they get all down on themselves. I'm like, you're fucked, bro. Like, you are fucked. There's something I love fucking playing sports that, like, you can get to that place where people are really trying because just like you shared, you get to see what their inner dad's like. Yeah. And uh, there was a part of me that was a Machiavellian fucking trickster when I was in college because I was learning all the things I was learning in my classes and I'd be smoking weed and I would go to the basketball court and I would just like fuck with people. But like a part of fucking with them was being able to see like you can almost, if you allow yourself to get kind of mythic, you can almost see the father over them and how that father talked to them by how they're talking to themselves when they have an error. Yeah. And um one of the threads that like was coming up when you were sharing about uh did you say Don Ezekiel? Don Ezekiel, yeah. Is like one of the things that's really hard to feel into is that it seems to be that there's like a human tapestry that is the song that Gaia is singing and it's a symphony and there's a whole bunch of different threads that need to be for the whole thing to create one cohesive song or one cohesive image and that there are parts of the symphony where it's a fucking dark note and there's a part of the symphony that's the top of the crescendo of the bliss and that like my genuine call about how to be is going to be different than yours and is going to be different than the other people in this room and it's like like there is a part of me that feels bad at witnessing your playfulness and feeling into my sincere seriousness and and of course i have a part of me that can joke but that i can feel that like 
the instrument that I want to be loves to have a furrowed brow <laughs> and that it's complemented by your trickster energy. Right. And then I also think vice versa. It's right. like, there's a part of me that wants to fucking bring the brow down. And that like feeling into the intelligence of your heart that draws you to the just right lovers also draws you to the just right friends. And it's not because they're the same. Yeah, It's because they hold a different note yeah. in the symphony. That is the thing that is unfolding. Yeah. And that's at least what I tell myself when I start to feel uh, that I'm not playful enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, fuck, man. I mean, I, being that's when I feel the most alive is when yeah. I'm playing, like I'm the most alive. I'm literally magic at that point. When I'm, when I'm like alive like that, like I, I feel magical. I yeah. feel like a magical being. It's feeling like things are just effortless and happening and I'm not second guessing anything and I'm laughing and, and it's like, there's a magnetism to it, mm. you know? And the magnetism is just like drawing in everything in perfect accord. But, and granted there is a time and place for the Goggins like work ethic, put your head down, stay right. hard, motherfucker, keep hammering, motherfucker, let's go. I get it. And there's right. an important time and a place for that. But that's to me, not where, the magic happens the magic happens when i'm still doing the same thing but i'm playing you know mm. and like it's the best i perform physically mentally emotionally spiritually is when there's this kind of levity to it and i'm like i'm in on the joke and i'm laughing you know with god it's like Her. paul selig's guides you know i asked paul selig's guides i say do you ever laugh and they said if we wanted we would be laughing all the time and i was like uh-huh right like that's the that's yeah. it right it's just like so so really like i think we're always trying to wonder like what is source one or what does the universe want yeah they want us to do and share our gifts and all that but also they're constantly saying like go play right go play like just have fun like enjoy this thing you know like really like really enjoy it but therein lies another terrifying aspect which is we have to let it all go and this is something i've covered a lot i recently wrote a newsletter about a big I lesson from the darkness it. it was good but it's oftentimes people say you know we we do these things to numb the pain okay pain is hard but i think the biggest thing that we numb is we numb the joy we numb the bliss, we numb, the, we numb ourselves to love because we've learned in the temporal way when relationships end or people die that sometimes that avenue, that conduit of love will go away, but time is undefeated and time will take everything in this physical reality that you love, it'll take it away. And so if we don't got much to lose, ah, fuck this life, FML, fuck my life, whatever, I don't care ah, it's not so scary. That monster of time is actually might even be doing us a favor. You know, yeah, time's gonna come. It's gonna end this. It'll all, this too shall pass. We say about our own life, this too shall pass. No worries. But we're in this blazing inferno of laughter and love and sensuality. And then we look at time and then we see the fucking fangs. And then we see like, oh God, you're gonna eat me? You mean you're gonna eat this youthful body that likes to play all these games and make love and dance and you're gonna eat it fuck like i have to reckon with that and we're the only being in the whole universe well i don't know probably other beings in the universe but the only being on earth that has to 
reckon with that fact. Has, has to walk towards the fangs. Slowly. Has to walk slowly towards the fangs. And so how are you going to deal with that? Are you going to pretend that you got nothing you got nothing to eat? You know like, "Oh yeah, whatever. I got nothing I got nothing to eat." Or are you going to go as big and as bright and as colorful as you are? as this giant blueberry of ecstasy and say fucking <laughs> go for it time what a great image you know like what are you how are you going to play it are you yeah. going to dry yourself out so you so you're not scared you know or and it and there's a real beauty to the fact that no matter what humans do it's amazing immense courage to be human like immense to be to be, to be in this physical reality subject to to time as the ultimate predator and knowing that it will get us like yeah. there's a there's a beauty to the courage that it takes to be human and and also a deep compassion for the people who are playing the other side just saying like no no just keep it you know temper it all down more where's where's more pills where's more booze where's more you know social isolation where's more whatever let me just lock it all down i get it I understand like this is terrifying and if you're acting that way I'm not going to judge you because I I have respect for what you're up against I really really do and of course all the trauma patterns all the other things but fundamentally even if none of that's there I have respect that you're staring at the face of the most terrifying monster you could possibly imagine a monster that you cannot defeat and it's eternity yeah yeah and like so no matter what choice anybody makes like mad courage but to those like to the warrior poets the ones who just i think that's why i love cyrano so much and yeah just like the ones who just live on the on the edge of the sword and just say you know play with all of the energy and let themselves feel everything from the lows to the highs and just engage in life and really dive in like that is you know the ultimate expression of courage and you know i i as i said in my newsletter like i deeply bow and salute you and i'm fucking with you to the end because that's the way and and i'm aspiring to be even more like that right you know because i can't underestimate how much of my own challenges that i experience my own little melancholic episodes my own clinging to stressful things and worrying about shit how much of that is me just trying to shed a little joy because it's too scary when i get that big and i have more to lose that time is going to eat so i'm like trying to just dispatch of a little bit of the joy of something the, the amount that i love someone or the amount i think a good amount i think a good amount but i know now like all right like i want to go I want to feed time. I want to feed time like time has never been fed. Mm. You know, I want to fill its fucking belly when it, <laughs> when it eats me. I wanted to be like, damn, that Aubrey Marcus was goddamn delicious. Yeah, you know, like I and that's that. I think is uh, it's just just big rallying cry that came through. And uh, and again, I'm jumping around a little bit. That that really landed for me after night two of ceremonies and the next day, the integration day. We were just watching, you know, different cartoons and, you know, Disney movies are fucking great now. Yeah, by the way, especially once you kind of crack the mythic code. Yeah, like they open up. There's a couple of things I wanted to touch yeah, on on the thing that you shared. The first thing that came to mind is that 
What you were articulating about it's not so much the numbing of the pain, but it's the numbing of the joy. That feels like, so there's this study that shows that money has no correlation to happiness once you reach about $80,000. But before that, it has almost a direct correlation to happiness. And that what you're sharing is almost like the spiritual version of the person who's crossed that $80,000 threshold, that you have done the hard things and also have had the luck and had the opportunities and mm -hmm. had the successes where you are confronting the boss after the most people think there are no more bosses. And you're actually being a beacon for most of the people who are listening, who like, there's a second mountain dog, Mm -hmm. but there's so many people I know who, because of either the roll of the dice or that they chose to have this type of life, they are truly running away from the pain that they don't even like, if they listened to what you said, they would be like, at best, I don't fucking get it. At worst, you're completely fucking delusional. And right. it's because, and I have some people very close to me that I can see that they're in the sub $80,000 a year of like just ease in their own body and that they want to fucking die. They want to die because they don't know how to do anything to make the pain stop. And that um, I, I just felt called to like voice that first half of the spectrum, but that I am now at the very beginning of this new boss where it's like, oh shit, I'm actually afraid of feeling more fully because I'm starting to feel that I can pay the lip service to it all day. But the truth is I am afraid to die. And I remember when I was like 20 and 21 and I first started doing like DMT and I was like telling people, I'm not afraid to die. Like I fucking get it, blah, blah, blah. And it was because I hadn't really tasted like the bliss blueberry of life yet. Mm. And, you know, a huge part of the medicine of being around y'all is that y'all have showed me yeah, Eric, you can be serious and you can, you know, do your fucking thing where mm -hmm. you work 12 hours a day and you're in the office every weekend. And there's this, and this is okay. And like, I know y'all saw, like saw me at the beginning and just how afraid I was of feeling any of the blueberry bliss. And like, now that I'm beginning to feel it, I almost feel like I'm at a point in my life where I feel almost paralyzed by like the buffet of beautiful things that I know that I could manifest in my life if I chose it. And one of the things I've been articulating to my friends recently is like, I'm now having to deal with the burden of abundance. Like neither of my parents had abundance and I never experienced it really as a child. Like the, and I almost don't know what to do. Like there's this part that's like defaulting to like just kind of not really showing up to my life because you know, I'm more afraid to die now than ever because of the amount of like joy and bliss and success that I'm experiencing. And yeah, I just wanted to put forth, like I wanted to give a yeah. voice to the people. And I would, I agree with you, but I would also counter that we cannot measure the hidden, the hidden amount of fear of joy. Like, like this is something that Dr. Ross Ellenhorn talks about the fear of hope, you know, because we're afraid to hope because actually the disappointment of getting that hope dashed is more more painful to our psyche than you know to actually hope and actually have it 
Yeah. You know, to have, so we're afraid to hope because we're afraid of the disappointment of that. So we'd rather just not have hope. It's more painful to have hope and lose it than to not have hope at all. And I think there's, I think that's true. That resonates. And I think this is for a lot of people, you know, I, I have a dear friend who has a terribly bad case of tinnitus and he's not doing the things that are, that are possible to cure it. And these are, of course, you know, fringier things like, you know, different stem cell treatments in your ear or maybe even different medicine journeys. Well, you mean things not supported by standard pharmaceutical models <laughs> right. that have funded the studies and also paid 80% of the wages of the FDA who approve the drugs? Oh. Correct. <laughs> but it's not even so much that he is in this, locked in this Western allopathic medical model. He is probably a little bit conditioned by that, but he's also afraid to hope that he could get better. Because if he hopes that he could get better, then all of the work that he's done to accept his condition now, it comes in jeopardy. Because the moment he starts hoping, he could get smashed again with the disappointment, Mm. which has come time and again when he's hoped that it would become better and it hasn't. So he's almost prefer to stay with this incredibly painful condition than to hope that he could potentially cure it and take the chance to do it because he doesn't want that disappointment. And I I was helping him work with that. And I think sometime and of course yes there's sometimes where the pain is just the pain and and you know the apple is just the apple i forget which way freud said it but sometimes a fucking sometimes the cigar is just a cigar sometimes a cigar is just a cigar sometimes the pain is just the pain but sometimes we're afraid to hope and sometimes we're afraid to be joyous because we're afraid of death sometimes we're afraid to hope because of disappointment and sometimes we're afraid to be in love and joy we're afraid to love because we might get our heart broken mm. and we're afraid to be in joy because we know time is going to eat us and how to what extent that is playing it's hard to say but i think that it's there always i think that even in the most dire cases it's there is that fear of hope because of disappointment the fear of love because of heartbreak and the fear of joy because of the fangs of time and and that's all i would venture to say and and i think the proportion is different for everybody and it's a mixed and and maybe some people it's sub one percent in all of that and the cigar is just a cigar but i think it's there man yeah and i can feel into the specific example that came up in me of the person i know that made me share that and i can feel that there is a long history of broken hope that has led to the hopelessness that i think underneath it all you know it's like there's something about if you've been sick or hurt for a long time if you even begin to feel into that it could be better, there's almost like a guilt that you feel about yourself for how long it took totally. you to get to the point to be, and that like just one of the really heavy, like it's it's been so humbling to really try to relax my mind into trying to understand trauma and like how it's played out in our culture. But there's this, there's a lot of tragic aspects to it. But one of the things it's it's like, the degree to which you have suffered the trauma and the result of the trauma is the degree of the like feelings you don't want to feel that you have to move through in order to even get back to baseline. And it's like, you know, there's that quote from the Bible, um, to those who have a lot more will be given and to those who have little less will be given. It's almost like it's not fair, but it seems to be a function of the universe that the more you've been hurt, the more you have to move through. Yeah. And the less that you've been hurt, the less that you have to move through. And that there's this like gap of mud 
between where they're currently at and where they would need to get. Yeah. It's a very good point to talk about again the the guilt about when if we actually accept i think this is one thing that keeps people from recognizing how powerful we are you know recognizing how magic we actually are and we can trot out all of the dispensa-esque placebo studies and all of the you know which are clinically researched studies where there's hundreds and hundreds of these ways in which the mind has influenced dramatic healing on the body or dramatic harm on the body with the nocebo effect we can trot this out and recognize how powerful we are, but if we really take it in and we really know it, then we go, shit, you mean I could have done this all along? You mean I could have lived this way my in my 20s, in my 30s? And I can feel that too. Like, fuck, if I really step into this place of radical joy, you know, like if I really do it, then I have to look back at all of the years that I spent in an amazing life, such an abundant, beautiful life, still suffering a bit. And I have to look back and be like, well, that's gone. <laughs> you know. But again, you just have to remove the judgment of that and just stay in the pocket of the present moment and yeah. know like, that's gone. Yeah. Like that, the past is dead. It's a fiction. It's a figment of your imagination. And sure, it happened, but it's gone now. Yeah. It's gone. Like you have now. And like, can you go from now, wherever you are, can you really go from now without judging yourself in the past? And that's a difficult thing when you're lost in the schmokti <laughs> of judgment, right? You're just clogged with it. And then you're like, yeah. I can't acknowledge this now because then I have to look back right. and you have to deal with the, the tragedy of it. It's like dealing with the tragedy of recognizing how much more I could have loved in my past relationships. I ended up in the perfect spot. I fucking love Vailana. She's amazing. And it's exactly where I, I wanted to be and should be. But do I not regret that I walked through my relationship with Whitney and all of my other beautiful paramours like Stephanie and Savannah and, and whoever else I was dancing with and loved? Lorena even? I mean, do I do I go back and 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 not like not wish that I could have done it a little better? Yeah like a little better like through the through this whole process yeah of course of course and but that's done now and yeah. and it's all like spending time on that is is only a way to like take the take the whip and and punish yourself an idea that i got exposed to that i've been munching on for a couple of weeks uh was um so if you look at how organisms evolve something and there's different theories about how this happens, but there will be a mutation that will enter into one of these organisms that will change their dynamic and power to all the other organisms. And that the first couple of generations of organisms that have this mutation, like a new claw or a new wing, or it can run a little bit faster. Most of them will use it so poorly that they don't reproduce. And almost the way the intelligence of the entire organism learns is through the ones using it badly and dying. And that humans got to a point in their development, and depending on what you believe, it's either aliens or interdimensional beings, or it's the fact that we had to throw rocks at shit, so we had to work together and we had fire. But we got to the point where we developed the ability to understand that there's a past and that there's a future and that we could actually time travel in our minds. Mm. And in evolutionary time, it's been seconds since that's come on board. Mm -hmm. 
and we suck at it. Yeah. And there's this. Um, it's like we can't not do it. It's like we have this ability and we're like, yeah, we got to do it. We got to do it. Right. Oh, we want to go past. You want to go to the future? Right. Like, yeah, let's fucking go. Like, like we are new in using this superpower and that there's been this movement in some spiritual veins and I'm not going to get into, there's been movements in spiritual veins that essentially say, look at the child, look at the animal and do you see how much peace they have? We should work to be like that. We should actually deny this mutation that we've been given and seek to be like that. And that almost feels like that's a denial of the arrow of the intelligence of the thing that we call evolution, but it's so much bigger than what that word is. Mm -hmm. And that it seems to be what our time is actively struggling with is how can you learn the ability to be the child or the animal when you need to? But that then to come back into the game that you're being invited to use and use this superpower. Because the thing about being able to remember the past is that you learn shit. Yeah, totally. And then the thing about being able to go into the future is you have the ability to take what you've learned in the past and intelligently imagine a new way to do something that's never been done before. And like the idea was presented in such a way where we are the first aperture of Gaia that has the ability to actually consciously become stewards with whatever the force of Gaia is, as opposed to just being another one of the flailing phalanges. And we are flailing with this fucking superpower. And that like a huge thing of what we're talking about on this podcast is like the ways we use this in, in like a clunky, dumpy way. And that the invitation is not to not use it, but to learn how to fucking wield Excalibur. You know, it's not yeah. King Arthur throwing it back into the fucking lake. Yep. You know. And it's it's using it consciously and intentionally. And compassionately too. And yeah, exactly. For ourselves. Yeah, like to really, instead of just finding yourself chewing on the past with your own guilt and remorse right. or projecting to the future with your own anxious trepidation at what might become you know like know when you're doing it all right we're going we're going into the future let's go let's let's set our intent and build this future reality and then watch myself walk towards it emotionally anchor myself to this reality that i'm looking for and go there acknowledge the fears as well because the more we lock them in the closet the stronger they get yeah because they're not going to go away and that's another big problem with this kind of new age the secret thinking like i don't want to think about the scary thing you better fucking think about the scary shit because otherwise it's going to stay scary and you have to look it straight in the eye until you look through it right and then then you that's how you dispel it but also emotionally anchor yourself to that reality go back in your past learn whatever you can but without judgment knowing that you were doing your best you know like that the best and i talk about this on the don miguel podcast i just released but the best can only be determined in the present moment. You can't decide that you did or did not do your best. That. Looking backwards in the rearview mirror, that's insane. Mm. Of course you could have done better now with what you know now and the way your mind is shaped now. If not, you're doing something terribly, terribly wrong. The best can only be determined in the present moment. Yeah, I love that. exactly. So like you did your fucking best, <laughs> you know, like of course you did. By evidence that it was what you did. But exactly. And And the thing that I think is really interesting to point out there is that people will use that as a way to justify continuing making the wrong choice in, in the present. And I do air quotes on the wrong 
There are people who will bypass the responsibility of learning so that they can make a more compassionate, more aligned with the truth of what is hard choice in the moment by saying, well, like there's some part of them that knows I'm going to go do this thing that I know is not the thing to do because I'll tell myself that it was the best that I could do. And on, on, you know, it's like what we talked about er earlier that from the third dimension, it's a table from the second, that it is true that whatever you chose to do was the best that you could do. But if you actually felt into your body in the moment right now, you can feel that there's a moment of choice Mm -hmm. between, am I choosing to do the hard right thing? Or am I choosing to do the easy out of alignment thing? Yep. And that that's where the best can be, you know? And like, you know, when you don't choose the thing. <laughs> yeah. And it, and then paradoxically, it was the best that you could do because you didn't right. choose it. But nonetheless, you have a new chance and a new opportunity now to choose, to choose a new best, to choose, like to choose the best now. And maybe that means you need more training. Maybe that means you need right. more discipline. Maybe that needs, oh, I need to suffer more. You need okay, to work on your, you know, warrior ethos. You know, this is a big part of what go for your win. That first course was about, was about getting people to the position where they could train the skills and, and hone themselves to actually make that yeah. better of the choices in the moment. Dude, and it's crazy to think like that course is what brought me here. Like I know, not just that you, course but, taught me and brought yeah, me. like multiple people who are yeah. on the team. Yeah, that was really that was a that was a beautiful thing that came to be, and uh, I'm excited. I'm going. I was actually going through it this morning, so mm. that's going to have a strong relaunch here coming up. Um, yeah. Do you want to tell me about the end of the first night? Oh, we're yeah. going to do two parts. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so the end of the first <laughs> night was, you know, ultimately it was just layer upon layer of more bliss the most bliss i've ever felt in an ayahuasca ceremony and what was interesting and eventually you know it got to playing the piano and and the piano that was played was like i've never heard the piano played like this in my life like never heard it played by any classical composer by anyone and it was all just like flowing under like tea light candles in the twilight of the ceremony i was like going You've got to be fucking kidding me. And then the healings, because there was fewer people, both shamans were there, you know, and, and there was some somatic aspect to it. Like Whoa. one had their hands, you know, the the maestra had her hands on my feet and and was like holding my hand and singing her ikaros and like doing her thing. And then the, the maestro had his like hands on my head and like on some of the places where I had scars and was doing this like super potent energy work. And it was so beautiful and strong that <laughs> I I was like fighting back from laughing, you know, like when you're like in church and you're not supposed to laugh, you know, I don't really go to church, but that, like that feeling of like, I'm not supposed to laugh right now, but this is so ridiculous that like, and so I was like, keep it together, bro. Dude, Just I like, know exactly Stay that here for this fucking healing, you know, like stay here for the healing. This is so crazy good. So that was a lot of it. And of course there's the work and you know, I purged and I shit a bunch and I, you know, did the whole did the whole thing. But you know, the the biggest part was a lot of the topics we explored, just about judgment and doing it right and where the magic lies, how the magic lies in the present moment and, and in these um so yeah, I mean that was the navigation and also just getting used to this new format mm. and this new structure. Anyways, go to bed at um you know, and again, their their dieta 
is different. You know, like the, you know, the shaman was like, you know what I love after ayahuasca the most? Cheesecake. What? And I was like, cheesecake? Oh my God. Like, and he's like, yeah, you should try it after ayahuasca sometime. And I was you, like, you fuck, need man. to give me his contact. <laughs> yeah. So, so like ultimately they just have a different, it's like a, di it's Brazilian, you know, it's like they're, it's like warm blooded and it's like more free in a way. Right. And like, so we had some, you know, fruit and some, you know, light food afterwards and, you know, and eventually you go to bed at like 5 30. I sleep three hours, which is tough. And then the, that's then the tough the work, thing about I am. The then same. the work comes in of like, all right, I'm fucking exhausted this next day. I have a little bit of gas that I can ride from the ceremony because I'm still a little bit of the medicine. Finally, you have any dreams that night? No, no dreams that night. I tend to not have dreams on ayahuasca. Interesting. It's like all the visions come out. Anyways, get a good nap in the next day. Finally, like it takes me a while to even nap, but get a good nap in and then we get ready for night two. Night two, we go in and um, ah, I just looked at my notes. There's one part that I that I do want to share from night one, and uh, before we get into the start of night two, the one other thing that was really powerful, and we've referenced the Earth a few times. All of us have this intellectual idea of the Earth as a being, the Great Mother, Pachamama. You know, it's like, it's who we are. It's what we're made of. We're, and I'll say it in poetry, you know, we're wolf fur and pine resin and hummingbird feathers recycled and reformed, coalescing up and down and, you know, articulation according to the double helix of our mm. design. And I'll talk about how we're all connected to the earth and we are the earth and blah, blah, blah. And it's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful poetry, right? <laughs> How dare you to yourself say blah 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 at the end of that? The reason why I say it is because I was on the medicine and I really felt the earth as a being, as a as a goddess. And I was like, oh man. Oh man. Like there she is for real there she is like i feel her i really feel her and it's not intellectualized and it's not condensed into a word it's like i could feel her and we also project our judgment onto the earth oh you know the earth we're just viruses on her and she's gonna blah, blah. we if we are the earth the earth is us she loves us she loves us she doesn't want to destroy us she loves us she created us and we we have the opportunity to love her too but like that love at a being of that level that love is also unconditional like she loves us she loves us so much that she's willing to allow us to just to defile her in a way it's like in that level of surrender yeah and and like that that was just this this amazing moment that just to really connect with these things that you know it's the difference between talking about god and then doing five meo and you watch the right. You watch the, you know, you see the vapor drain into your lungs, and then all of a sudden, all the times you've used God don't make sense at all. No. And you're like, God, God, 
oh, wow. You know, and it was like earth. Oh, wow. You know, and that was such a fucking potent moment. And I wish it was, I wish it was longer in a way, you know, and I wish I could keep it. Yeah. But I remember it. And I think that's the beautiful thing is just to, to have that felt sense of, felt sense of, of the great mother, you know, and to really feel her and to really feel her love. And, uh, yeah, the thing that, that, that brings up in me is before I did psychedelics, I didn't, like, I couldn't realize what I realized. And that once I did psychedelics, you have the opportunity to experience, like, the essence or the archetype of something that you've cut up into a little thing that you use as a word. And when you really feel that thing, the only response is no words. And it's only until you come a little bit enough into the illusion that you can even begin to have the audacity to try to tell the story. And it's one of the things that I constantly struggle with with trip reports is that there's a quote by Michael Pollan and it's that um, to try to put the psychedelic experience into sentences and words and letters is to do it a type of violence, mm-hmm. but to not do it is to literally leave it unthinkable. And that there's like, I loved what you said at the Fit for Service Summit in Costa Rica, where you said, I don't want to butcher it, but it's not, it's that words are not the tool of the poet. They actually get in the way. They're the obstacle. They're the fucking obstacle. And that the poet is the type of word user that's the closest to the numinous. Yeah. Of the ones who have the audacity to speak it, they're the closest to the numinous. And that I love that reframe because most people are so stuck in the matrix that they look to the poets as like, they really know how to use the words. (laughs) And that the people who are the poets, they can actually feel like every word I put down is like a violence against the thing that I love. Yeah. But to not do it would literally drive me fucking insane. Yeah. And it's it's this tension of like I know I haven't felt that yet. I know I haven't met the mother. And I know that the language that I use about her is my audacity at not having that thing. And that I I have the in- intuition I will experience that at some point and then I will then be again the insane poet that's like I will go insane if I don't try to share this, but I know if I try to share it, I'm going to kill it. Yeah. And like one of the things I experienced with ayahuasca when I came back the second time was the moment she like started moving through my body on the first night, I was like, oh my God, my memory through story of the first time completely obliterated her or obliterated her from my mind. And that my only reference point going into the second session of ayahuasca was the illusion of the story that I wrote. And there was just this feeling of like, it's like the fucking fate of my artistic life is going to be, sand is going to be put into my hand and it's going to go through my hands and then I'm going to think my hands were the thing. And it's just like, and so it is to be a poet though. And then, but there is this, I think the, there is the, 
the way that it can be expressed in a different way is you think of Matthew McConaughey's scene in Interstellar where he lost that 50 years, right? And I talked to him about that on the podcast and how he didn't speak to anybody. He put himself 100% in there and he had that classic line, you know, anything after the first take is acting. And that take, he wasn't acting. That take, he was he was that pilot. And he had just lost 40 years of life for his for his daughter and had to watch her grow old on a screen he didn't say anything but watching him go through that Mm. is one of the most powerful moments i've ever seen in film and it's because of the truth it was even through the lens of a camera i can only fucking imagine for the people who were there (laughs) in person right but even through the lens of a camera they felt something and and i think that's what it is with all the great spiritual teachers that's a great point don miguel and ramdas and maharaji and, and and all of these great spiritual teachers i mean i remember even Corey allen talking about a, a transmission from ravi shankar you know great musician but it wasn't the it wasn't the chords it was the essence that was played through the instrument whether it's sound or whether it's words or whether it's whatever but there is a purity of being in resonance with that that can be transmitted mm. if you really get mm. to the truth of it and and you know i think that's the that's the that's the place like when a poet really expresses heartache and like really express like you can almost feel it's hard when the words are just on a page cuz right. it's hard to carry that but sometimes it can but when it's performed and when you're right. there and you're transmitting it and i know in my best talks and my best podcasts and hell maybe even when i was talking about the earth just now people felt a little something of like i just got a little glimpse of something beyond the words because i don't even know what i said i think i just repeated earth a bunch of times i don't know it wasn't particularly i don't recall it being particularly poetic and you know it sucked yeah (laughs) (laughs) well played but uh but ultimately maybe there was something that was felt and maybe when you're fresh off one of these journeys i think that's why when i talked about ayahuasca fresh right. off like i described it all right i'm sure but they could they could feel something and i think that's that's the place we have to get to it's the speaking from gnosis and using the clumsy instruments whatever we have right. whether it's a song or whether it's you know words or whether it's a podcast whatever it is whatever the medium is just carry the truth like get in resonance with what yeah. that truth is and then let the other things take care of themselves and i think that's that is it's still an approximation but it's the best it is the best we can do and it, and at that point you know it's almost it is almost it still carries truth but if it's just if it's the words dry if the words are dry you know if they're not wet with the frequency they're not just dripping in the mm. vibrational accord with that thing mm. you know they're no longer they're no longer there like if i becomes cliche yeah and it it becomes like this very strange thing like a song that a rock star performed a thousand times right you know like at first they fucking felt it and maybe the you know when they first went out on tour they could fucking feel it Mm. you know and now it's like okay gotta play the hits again we're gonna put them at the end because you know that's what the audience wants but you know it's the hits you know even talking to like satsang about i am you know you still feel it but like it's not the same as when right. he first wrote I Am, but every he's got to play I Am and all his songs, it's his big hit. You know, it's not that he doesn't love the song, but it it may not carry the same 
thing that it once did. And sure, sometimes I'm sure it does. And I don't want to speak for him about that particular song, but just using him as an example of the fresh stuff is still right. alive. You know, he just wrote a love song about Montana. Probably in 10 years from now, maybe that love song won't carry the same feelings about Montana that yeah. it carries right now because he's just been repeated a bunch. But uh, but I think that's the reason why art needs to be refreshed. Absolutely. And way. it also feels like the thing that you're articulating here is the reason why almost all wisdom traditions, they talk about who taught them and who taught them and who taught them in person. And they talk about like, it must be a transmission of energy from one nervous system to the other. And that they almost like their lineage is how like the fucking Bible and Deuteronomy or whatever talked about all the sons of, you know, whoever mm -hmm. else, but that the wisdom there is, it's like with Don Howard, man, he barely spoke to me. And I don't know if anyone has had a bigger impact on what my nervous system knows is like divine masculine grace. Yeah. He barely spoke and he made me weep. Yeah. And it was just indescribable presence unlike anything I've ever known. So yeah, I get what you're saying and I feel what you're vibing. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, brother. All right. Night two. Um, Part two. <laughs> night, yeah, night two. So five minutes in i drink the i drink the first cup this is this experience i've never experienced anything like this and at this point i'm like well i mean i we'll see what comes up here night two but drink the cup no music yet five minutes in sitting there sitting upright this being comes in into my field like through a portal into a field and i'll drink one of those too and appears in the upper left quadrant of my vision now when i say upper left quadrant that means that no matter which way i turn my head mm -hmm. you know it's still in the exact same orientation i could do 360s it's still going to be there it doesn't matter which way i turn my face it's like in this fixed spot and this being looks like a mayan deity like you would see in like the old like stone and you know painted masks and things and he has this like mask on that's kind of covering half of his face and like going over almost like a hood like hooded but but with the mayan you know writing and masks and like animal skins and animal you know and, he, and he's sitting on this throne in absolutely stoic peace and i'm like wow i mean five minutes in ayahuasca hasn't even hit yet I'm like, this is unique. And he's just fucking chilling there. I'm like, all right. So I start to like ask it some questions. No response. No response. Stoic. Sitting in his throne. It's like, okay. And then I asked myself, I was like, all right, is this being an ally or is it something I should be concerned about? Not that I'm I've dealt with a lot of gnarly shit like the world crusher not necessarily concerned but is it something that has an energy that is not not an ally right and strong message strong clear strident salient message ally no doubt says that okay okay ally cool 45 minutes goes by still chilling there 
no ayahuasca experience. It doesn't, it felt like it was going to come on for a second and it felt like the gravity of this being was so dense and so heavy that it just sucked it right to it. And that got me a little concerned. I was like, well, shit, is he going to like suck this energy over here? And I just watched some like, I watched some show on Gaia that was talking about fucking Anunnaki and sucking the unused spiritual potential energy of the human beings and wanting us to stay in suffering and conflict so that it could have more Great Dieta documentary. <laughs> yeah, right. I was, no, it's in between ceremonies. I was watching, I was like, Terrible oh, watch idea. Gaia. And then I end up in this, and all these stories are there, which was also a very important lesson because these stories were fueling different points of fear. I was like, it looks Mayan, but maybe that's what the Anunnaki look like. <laughs> maybe he's sucking my spiritual energy. And I was like, no, man, I don't even fucking believe in the Anunnaki. Like, what am I, what am I doing? It's not, I don't even, this is, this is just a story I heard today. And I remembered also that Hamilton Souther, who's been on the podcast and I learned so much from, when he would talk about, you know, Anunnaki being an alien race and there's all these alien races, he would talk about the aliens. He'd be like, I'd ask him because he would have all these encounters. He'd be like, yeah. You know, aliens, they like to tell stories. And that's that's all he would say. He was like, well, what about them? He's like, yeah, they like to tell stories. Just be mindful, like, look out for the stories. And I was thinking like, okay, I think this is just a story. Is this, I'm not feeling this. But nonetheless, my ayahuasca experience has been absorbed, a feeling like it was absorbed by this being. So I'm deciding night one, so much bliss i want to get back to that i don't want this being to absorb it so i'm like all right i know how to get rid of a being you just love it so it's like pouring love into this being stoic does not budge i kiss it i hug it i say i love it i, I try to become it i say you are me i am you tatwa masi mayan being stoic not budging not moving nothing so then, you know, an hour and a half in, I call the shaman over and in between songs. And I'm like, so I'd like another cup of ayahuasca, please. And I have this being and he doesn't seem malicious, but he's heavy, heavy. And he's here in my vision. He just looks at me and he gives me the cup. He says, don't worry, you are not alone. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> does it mean you see it too? And then I start worrying, like, did I draw this being through a portal and now it's affecting everybody's journey? Like, how's everybody doing? Did I ruin this for everybody? Like, fuck. So I have all these thoughts going. And then we get to one of the dancing portions and I get up and dance and I'm, you know, eyes closed and I'm ecstatic dancing to the music. But I'm not ecstatic dancing, not like the last time because the ayahuasca is not hitting. So I'm just dancing you know, like a sober Aubrey dances, which, you know, I know how to let loose. I know how to ecstatic dance myself and I'm moving. I'm like, maybe it wants to dance. And I actually get it up off the throne for a second to dance, but it was almost like this sheer willpower of mine to get it to dance. It had just enough energy to get it up. And then immediately it would just sit back down. Like the gravity was just pulled by gravity back to its chair. And like, I couldn't get it to dance. It's just sitting there. I'm like, fuck, okay, two and a half hours in, three hours in. I'm like, well, maybe a third cup of ayahuasca. And at this point, I'm like, I'm getting a little concerned at this point too, like waves of concern. Like, is this gonna be like a part of my whole journey? Is my whole journey gonna be just hanging out with this being who does nothing <laughs> and says nothing and just stays there? Is And then 
is it going to be there forever even beyond the journey like is this like now a part of my life am i just going to be hanging with this being in the corner upper left quadrant of my vision for the rest of my life like i don't know if i want that but i would ask i asked probably 10 times are you an ally and to myself and it was always ally fuck okay and then eventually i had to surrender to the fact like well i guess and this is the deep deep lesson of ayahuasca like that which you resist persists right and some part of me was resisting in a variety of ways even though the being wasn't expressing in any way that was just he was just being there he's just literally being there <laughs> and it's like all right well if you are now part of my whole journey and this is my whole journey that's okay and if you are a part of my whole life like that's okay too and i was like but if that's the case let me let me look more deeply let me look more closely and really like understand and try to look in and i was able to like with that curiosity and with that mm -hmm. acceptance like peer in and i saw him transform from this kind of anthropomorphized mayan deity form into pure magic and i just saw these raven's beaks and these violet light that was just pouring around it mixed with this like cerulean blue and this green and just flooded with magic just magic like the ultimate sorcerer as a pure energy being as like a magician as this pure energetic magical being and i was like whoa that is some fucking deep magic like deep deep magic and the being is so still like so still in the midst of this in the midst of this magic and with that i saw it and i accepted it and i got the idea like this being i think is teaching me surrender like in a really deep deep way about how to have all of this mat all of this energy all of that ecstatic energy that i'm talking about that you have to purge and you move and you want to exhale and breathe out and kind of move out through dance or move out through whatever you're doing or a wiggle or a turning over or a sigh or a something or a stretch or a yawn nah -uh. this being has all the magic and it's just there just just still surrender and i was like okay you're a teacher of surrender and then when i got that download the being goes straight out the portal that it came from and it's just like and i felt it fade away and then as soon as it faded away the three cuts of ayahuasca <sighs> fucking hit me like a freight train like it was just like wham and it was like at full blast like i have i can hardly recall being that blasted i mean i've gotten there before but like peak blasted on ayahuasca visions whereas there's no visions no feeling everything just floods through and at that point i recognized the teaching of the being was like can i just surrender be like this being and sit with it like just sit in it and hold it so i would try and i would practice and i would just lay there and i mean the, the energy was just coursing through like more voltage than i've you know can hardly ever imagine just pouring through my body and the visions just exploding through my you know through my consciousness and consuming me entirely and instead of moving i would just hold and it would as i would hold still and not purge any of it through excessive breath just steady deep breaths deep breaths 
deep breaths. The magic would get more and more intense and more and more like magical, honestly. And, and the, the longer I would stay, the magic would get deeper and things would start to rewire in my eye sockets and I would feel the magic working in my brain and it would start working through my whole body. But eventually the intensity would get so much that I would literally tap out. You know, I would like, I can't fucking take it. So I would get up and breathe and like dry heave a little bit and like, fuck. And then I would go back into it and I would just sit there and like see how long I could take it. And it really felt like I was being like a sexual submissive mm. to, to ayahuasca or to God. And like, how much can I really be a submit and, and surrender to this feeling? It's almost like, a, like one aspect of BDSM is like tickle BDSM, where like somebody's tied up and getting tickled. So the, the sensation is, pos- is pleasurable. But nonetheless, like, you know, when you're getting tickled, like the instinct is to move away. But imagine that your whole body was being tickled, but you don't move. You don't move to try and wiggle away. Or you don't move to try and laugh it out. You just hold the tickle as much as you can. Like, can you hold it even though it's pleasurable? Like, can you hold it? You know, like, can you like not react to that pleasure? Or for, for us, I think actually for actually, I don't know in person for both sexes but after an orgasm after a climax the clitoris or the penis gets really sensitive so if like someone continues to perform oral sex after the moment of orgasm it's mad sensitive and it's not like it doesn't feel good but it's like whoa 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 it's it's a lot you know what i mean so you like you scoot away or whatever your partner will like scoot away and you're like oh i'm sorry like you know like that that time that stroke is the the, the time for that stroke is over you got to give it a little break but it was like i was held in this place where just this ecstasy energy was so strong and i could just see how long i could take it for and the the really deep lesson for me in that was that my tolerance to hold energy that's uncomfortable particularly or even just mildly neutral is very low i'm constantly modulating my consciousness modulate with a little tobacco modulate with a little caffeine modulate with a little food modulate with a little this practice or this thing i'm just constantly like surfing and all of those things are fine but they're also they also leave me kind of wrestling myself always i'm always just kind of like wrestling myself a little bit and i just understood that there's so much that's on the other side of just absolute surrender to what is and what you're feeling if you want to do something great but don't do it because you're compelled because it's a compulsion and a need to modulate your consciousness like be be stoic enough that you can hold whatever it is whether it's pain or whether it's pleasure or whether it's whatever can you like just be with it and hold it and that was like the massive massive teaching of that night it feels like it's the ultimate initiation of the philosophy that you espouse which is everything is allowed or at least in the eyes of source all is god and do you withhold joy because you know you're going to die yep 
and that there's this deep, like, can you hold the joy in you and not do things to make it less? Yeah. And there's something about the, like, it's like a reflection of the amount of work that you've done that the ally provided no hints yeah like yeah no guidance you know like um in my ayahuasca experiences because it feels like i'm just starting it feels like very clear like this is the task or the challenge that you have to do and it feels like one of the things that was coming through at the beginning is that that feels like a imagistic representation of your like highest king energy which mm -hmm. is like like if you were truly in that you wouldn't speak because it's like, it's all, and I'm holding it. Yep. And that the like ego Aubrey is like the opposite. Yeah. You know, and that one of the things that's interesting to feel into for all of us who are into like self-improvement practices, which is, are you compelled to self-improve? You right. know, right. as opposed to, are, are you adding spice to the dish of your experience to enhance fully what you're trying to experience? And that um, to meditate can both be an addiction or it can be a seasoning yep. to ice bath or to sauna or to eat the right thing. And it's something that I feel our friend group struggles with, you know? Yep. And I think most people who have reaped the rewards of the positive aspects that come from doing all these practices, it's like, I'm compelled. Mm -hmm. And when I'm sick or when I'm hurt, all my shit comes up. Yeah. There's a great quote by Nietzsche, and it's, um, when a man is tired, he has to face dragons he thought he'd long since slayed. <laughs> and it's like, people think that I've gotten so far on the path, but it's it's because I found all these ways to actually avoid the boy who's like, I'm not worthy unless I'm useful. Like, yeah. that's one of my core things. I resonate with that deeply. And one of the things that will fuck me up if I am sick or injured, because then I can't go perform my coping patterns that the rest of the world sees. Oh, wow. He's doing such a good job. He's so <laughs> yeah. healed. He's, he's so yeah. liberated yeah. from his suffering. Yeah. It's like on the first night of our trip, I jumped off the fucking top of the yacht <laughs> yeah. with you. And I landed in a way where I gave myself a little concussion. Did and you see the photo that showed your head? I don't want to talk about it, Aubrey. <laughs> but yeah, I did. And like that that night, um, I was just spouting negativity uh, to who was in bed with me, just spouting negativity. And then I went out to the deck and I just wept alone while all my friends were sleeping on this awesome yacht, on this fucking awesome trip. And that I could feel that I was just a little bit hurt in the best fucking environment that I could possibly be in. And I was seven and I was alone and no one loved me. And it's, it's, it's so humbling to when I get hurt, like you don't solve any of your wounds. You just can get good enough where their noise is small, but man fall over. Yeah. And then they just explode forward. Yeah. It's again something that Hamilton said, you know, energy levels matter. And he just said it as concisely as that. But like, it's exactly that Nietzsche quote. Like, yeah, when you have the inner fire of who you are, all of these things are 
easy to deal with but you get knocked off a little bit it's one of the also the challenging parts of ayahuasca why they say it works continually throughout the time is because you're you're exhausting yourself you're putting out a lot of energy it's it's a lot of energy to hold that amount of energy and it's very little sleep and that in and of itself creates things that you have to deal with things that are unearthed that you thought you've put into you put to bed a long time ago but yeah you know no doubt about it like this is uh it was probably the most important you know one of the most important lessons and i realized like you know because i have this feeling like i'm just always wrestling myself and then i was like oh you want to solve wrestling with yourself it's not that you fucking find the winning move like you do the foot sweep and the and the you know shoulder the hip toss and you get yourself on its back and you win and you triumphantly have finished wrestling yourself you just stop wrestling yeah just stop wrestling so you're gonna go do a 10-day vipassana retreat (laughs) or dark pasana i am super called back to that because that is that to me is uh you know i like things in the most extreme way but that to me was the was the thing that's why it's such a powerful medicine is you literally can't do anything in the darkness you could wiggle you know and and think but there's nothing there's no sights that can distract you there's no sounds that can distract you vipassana is great for that and i think that would be also a great medicine um and you know i'm down but i'm also down to go back to the darkness in a really deep way is that to me was the best practice of this that i've ever experienced you know because you're just you're in your dark room you're in the dark room for as long as you can as long as you can bear it you know and and that's uh there's a deep calling back to that and i've felt since you know so i'm integrating from the aya and i'm still a little tired and i've lost out on some work stuff is a little behind so i'm then going back into that and then i'm back into modulating and and uh and yesterday i was feeling kind of like really off my off my energetic game so to speak and vi was like well do you think this has something to do with you know the lesson that you got in aya and damn it don't see me yeah love of my life i was like yes exactly it's like it's i'm not following i'm not following the lesson that i'd learned and so not only am i not following it it's 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 exaggerative the consequences of that right that i'm feeling and probably there's also some judgment that i have for not i just learned this fucking lesson i was graced with this mayan deity of surrender for three hours to teach this lesson and here i am back to the kratom caffeine nicotine work plunge pickleball fucking thing and like i gotta fucking sit with it i gotta like go back to the go back to that deep sitting with with what is and uh and it's the gravity of wisdom that when you know what it feels like to be in tune the tension of being out of tune grows it's like if you never ate right and then you had a period where you ate right not eating right is actually more painful than what it was for the 20 years before it's the same with working out and it's there's a quote that the only antidote to consciousness is more consciousness like it's it's one of the like be careful what you wish for if what you're wishing for is more consciousness because with more consciousness becomes a greater feeling of the tension of being out of tuned 
Yeah. And you have now a deeper layer of understanding of being out of tuned. Good That's luck. <laughs> and uh but you know what's you know what's great is, you know, that that example from that from that being was such a good it's like it's almost like it's an ally now so it's like i can just remember it and be like okay like i you were with me i I remember i see you i i see that and you mentioned don howard earlier and he exemplified this as well i remember there was times where there would be you know kind of this chaotic energy this bubbling energy and when everybody was just chatting amongst themselves and laughing and and we're trying to get into the serious work at the mesa at the night and Don Howard would just sit and he would just wait and just be still and allow it to unfold. And there was even an assistant that he had at the time. And the assistant was like trying to be powerful and kind of take some of the energy. And instead of Don Howard doing anything about it, just let him, just let him go, let him ultimately go and like fall on his face basically. And it was just like this deep surrender energy of, you know, not being compelled to do anything like being okay with what is and his eventually him being that anchor drew everybody back without him having to admonish anybody but he just i think actually at one point in one of the wachuma ceremonies with him, like it was so it was so much i couldn't handle it you know <laughs> like i couldn't handle it so i was like everybody fucking settle down <laughs> you know like i like i couldn't hold it yeah. You know, because I could feel what Don Howard was holding and Don Howard was holding it fine. But I couldn't do it. You know, I could feel the the dissonance between those two different things. That's rainmaker shit. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh so yeah, man. And then, you know, the night ended up there was I was really mostly so much about that about that that journey that there wasn't like a lot of other content that we haven't covered or touched on or or different things. And it was just beautiful to kind of bring this whole thing this whole thing full circle and bring it to a close and ultimately it was just a really really gorgeous experience and really um you know kind of makes me think that it's just you have to be really mindful using these medicines you know they're strong and they're potent and you have to give them you know enough space and enough but they are always honing and always refining and so many people ask like why do you need to do this like you you don't need to you certainly don't need to and i'm not recommending it you know but you can use them you know to like to really learn things that you could never learn in a different way like yeah i understand intellectually surrender i understand intellectually about the earth i get it in my mind but that doesn't mean shit yeah you know that doesn't mean shit until you're until you're there like working with it yeah and like one of the things that comes up for me when people say like why do you need it or why do you keep doing it and it's like if you take a moment to feel into the fact that our culture is sick and if you can't see that then uh that's a conversation that you would have to start at but our culture is sick we are born into trauma we are born into systems that are corrupt, not completely, but have corruption and have trauma built into them. Most of us are fed poison. Most of us are not taught how to move or how to be outside. Most of us are given stories that are so shallow in like time, history, and wisdom. 
And we are given goals and games to play that make us sick, that make us compete, that make us jealous and violent and small. And most of us are getting reinforced with this sickness all the fucking time. And there's a bunch of different ways that you can work with the sickness. This is one of the most potent, period. Mm -hmm. And like you go back in the same way, you know, like do you shower once and then you're done? Like shit's dirty. And that doesn't mean it's wrong and it's not something, but it's it's objectively yeah. dirt and you shower. And one of the most beautiful, powerful, sometimes too hot, sometimes too cold shower are psychedelics. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I feel into is that on average, a person who has courageously and responsibly and earnestly explored psychedelics even once, there's uh, empathy that they have for the human condition. And there's a compassion and also a curiosity that I tend to not find in the average person who yeah. hasn't explored psychedelics, but it's not exclusive. There are some beautiful souls that I've met who have never touched psychedelics. And there are people who do psychedelics all the time and they're assholes with inflated egos who in some ways are even more squirmy type wolf things because they've learned how to use like nonviolent communication violently and they've learned how to use That's all the worst. these motherfucking like, like they sage the space before they have a conversation with you because they feel like they, it's like a passive aggressive way As to say a, right before they shit all over you <laughs> right and so like both types of people are in both but our culture is sick mm -hmm. and um when this is done earnestly it's medicine yeah it's it's really like the the necessity for these for detoxification is directly proportional to how toxic your environment is right. you know the body will do that naturally if you're in a toxic environment the body will naturally detoxify to the same extent as best of its ability and i think that's something that people don't realize and also some of the old wisdom was r really valuable to times when the culture wasn't as toxic right when the the time right. wasn't as toxic even going back to the 60s it wasn't as toxic you know psychologically at the very least and also environmentally from the you know preponderance of glyphosate and all the shit that's out there in the in the world that we're taking in physically mentally emotionally all of the different things that we're having to absorb and consume in our world it was different then you know so you can listen to a you know sixth century sage who lived out in the forest and says you know you don't need this or you know someone from the you know 50s living out in a commune somewhere out in nature farming their own food and being like you don't need this yeah all right that's was true then for sure but in a more toxic environment you need more powerful detoxification agents and i think that's the place that we're in and it's speaking to exactly what you're saying is we're dipping right back into the same same culture and this is one of those powerful tools now as you said also it's not the only way you can remove yourself from the grid or do it in a different way in the dark room or have a consistent breathwork practice that's cleaning a little bit every day right um but i think some combination of all of the above is really what speaks to me and, and granted i think i lean too heavily on psychedelics to do the do mm. the cleaning olympia olympia to clean clean the little body you know like great 
it's like I'm going to like extreme cleans to extreme immersion in the fucking maelstrom of yeah. of our of a largely toxic society. Even though so many of my elements are so beautiful, I'm still in it, right? You know, and I I think there's a big space for me to really experience a lot more of the soft, slow, gentle. Let's do a long water fast. Let's do an immersion in the darkness. 100%. Let's go out in nature. Let's just camp indefinitely let's go on a walking trip from somewhere in the bush towards uluru and stopping at little outposts and sleeping out in the outback like for sure that's that's a way you can't you know you can't cook a muffin at a thousand degrees for three minutes and expect it to turn out exactly (laughs) as good as a you know 325 (laughs) for 15 you know it's like yeah it's going to be cooked but it's going to be a little charred in some spots and and i think that's also the risk but if you can blend all of these things together i think those are the countermeasures that are needed for the time that we're in and i feel that more than ever now 100 percent. it feels like it comes down to can you feel your authenticity and can you express it and if you can't feel it and you can't express it there are tools to help you feel it and to express it there are tools that are outside of psychedelics that can help you do both and psychedelics are really fucking good if you (laughs) know how to do them respectfully totally and you know if there's a lot that you have to work on like going to that extreme thousand degree temperature if you're made of combustible trauma do not go don't jump in the ayahuasca oven it is a trial by fire and you will explode you know like if you're made of magnesium filaments (laughs) you know like don't fucking go it's just going to be a white hot you know incineration yeah like do other things so be super mindful that this is not the cure-all right and so many people who are in really tough spots they'll think like ayahuasca will cure me no if you're in a really tough spot like probably not the time like go in ayahuasca strong right like go in strong and and because it will it will challenge you and you'll need your strength and you'll need you'll need what you can but there's so many different practices so many different things start with float tanks you know maybe escalate from float tanks to breath work and escalate from breath work to ecstatic dance and escalate from that to you know maybe then you'll learn how to be able to meditate on your own and spend some time in nature and then maybe the you know mdma assisted psychotherapy would be a good first step and then maybe some really intelligently guided psilocybin journey like maybe even a cannabis yoga intentionally cannabis yoga journey would be good like there's so many different ways and ayahuasca is certainly not the only way a boga is certainly not the only way though in certain dire conditions like a heroin addiction like a boga has shown incredible promise but ayahuasca in particular is is the is the one one of the shamans we were with in miami i think she described it as or maybe it was this recent shamans i don't know but the way ayahuasca heals is it instead of pushing you upwards to go up it pushes you down to go up like imagining all the dimensional realities Mm. as circle like ayahuasca is pushing you through the density down through the density and so you have to experience all the shit all your fears all of your anxieties all your shames all of the stuff it's going to push you down before you go back on the loop back up Mm. whereas these other things you know they can lift you from the place where you've been you know ketamine is another one that can lift you from the place to, that you're in pain and lift you to another reality a neutral reality of the void 
that's maybe the way you know because you really have to be ready to go down to yeah. go up and going down to go up if you've never been down there's fucking snakes and yeah. fangs and there's all kinds of things down there so that's why really being ready to be that spiritual warrior that's willing to go down into yeah. descend into the underworld to to emerge back to heaven that's it's just the way the medicine works it's just it's 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 its way as a sacred teacher yeah i have a dream that one day there will be therapists or psychologists that have the eyes that are able to see okay where are you at and that all the tools are legal and available and that there's not a overcompensation to using the fucking bazooka yeah but that it's all legal and that we can help people where they're at because the culture is going to be transformed by the transformation of individual consciousness from you know their story of separation which is fueled mostly by unprocessed trauma and of course there's a little bit of other things but if you just try to change the systems but you don't change the little monkeys that create the systems the traumatized monkeys are going to create traumatized systems again yeah. and like i have a dream you know you know push pause right there because that's so important to recognize like you can imagine like if we could just snap our hands and the world would be the oceans would be clean and and the environment would be you know pristine again and all of that okay well how long till we did the same shit again like the the more beautiful world that our hearts know is possible as charles eisenstein says it has far less to do with the world and far more to do with the people who are creating the challenges with in the our world. hearts it has our to hearts do with our hearts it has to do entirely with our hearts because if we do anything else the corruption in our hearts our own delusion our own schmuckties and our own ways in which we see the world we're just going to recreate the same thing over and over again so i think that's why of, of course feeling the earth you know you want to help the earth 100%. directly and, and i'm i celebrate that you know i celebrate all of the efforts to help the earth directly but if we don't help the people who are in the place positions of power who are doing this to the earth then and all of the people the collective consciousness of all of this who are supporting all of it and consuming the products that are supporting all if we're not changing the people then we're not going to get anywhere we will recreate a different version of the same energy totally. systems totally. you know and there's that quote that uh has been coming up for me in the last week when i've been sharing it with people and it's been misattributed to the buddha but it's when i was a young man i tried to change the world when i realized i couldn't change the world i tried to change my nation when i couldn't change my nation i tried to change my tribe and when i couldn't change my tribe i tried to change my family and now as an old man i realized that all i can do is change myself and once i changed myself i began to change my family and once i began to change my family I, and then all the way down mm -hmm. and that's the place to start yep aho we did it brother we fucking did it how how long was that i don't know <laughs> 205 Not shit bad. light Not work bad. today right. brother light Part work Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> easy day easy day uh i love you i fucking love you thanks for sharing this amazing journey with us this is uh brother thank you yeah man and thank you ryan thank you christian thank you. i love you guys We'll see you next week.
Thanks for tuning into this podcast with Eric Godsey. If you want to work with both of us as coaches and part of our community, the Fit for Service Fellowship, go to aubreymarcus.com slash fit for service. Of course, follow Eric at Eric Godsey, Eric with a CK Godsey on Instagram and check out his journaling course, The Dharma Journal at thedharmajournal.com. Thank you so much, everybody. I love y'all and I'll see you next week.